Good to see you here this morning. I'm glad that uh, everyone made it, and I'm so thankful for God's sweet mercy that uh, we are able to be here, and we have electricity and um, internet and all the things that we are first world problems. Uh, but there's a lot of people out there that are hurting, and a lot of people that we need to lift up in prayer and care for through prayer and finances if we are able to. So just keep those folks in mind, um, that double devastation of the flooding in Houston and then the hurricane through South Florida and up through the Panhandle. Uh, so just keep those folks. We have friends and family. We all probably know someone that's being impacted by that. Uh, thank you for all your hearts to give and care for those folks. Um, but please continue continue to do that. Uh, this morning we're going to continue in our series through the book of Acts. Uh, we're on chapter 14 this morning. We've been in this series uh, for several months now, and we're getting close to an end. Come uh, November, we'll transition into an Advent series. Uh, about uh, the end of, I think November 19th is our, our landing date when we'll finish Acts. So that will be almost an entire year. But it's been, it's been really great. And so we'll uh, see this morning that we're going to pick up in Acts 14 where Paul and Barnabas are traveling to Luconia. And in Laconia, that's a place that's made up of several different cities, Iconium, Lydia, I mean, um, uh, Lystra, and Derby. And in each one of these little regions, these cities, we'll see that there's different populations, different understandings of who God is, um, different understanding of what God is. And then we'll also see people that are very uh, encouraging to the gospel, and, and God has a great impact there. So we'll see these different things that are going to happen through this uh, journey through Acts 14. We'll also see how Paul is wrestling with and, and coming to an understanding of when he's supposed to stay and continue to serve uh, in a city and then also how he may need to be called to, to leave. Um, so we'll, we'll check that out in, in this. And then we'll also see that the gospel, when Paul is preaching it, he preaches it to the audience. There's not a cookie cutter way. Um, the gospel isn't isn't painted into a corner. It is alive and it is well, and it speaks to all people uh, in different ways. And the gospel meets people where they are. And so we'll see Paul doing that in, in chapter 14. And then also the last thing we'll see is that even though when he preaches, the outcomes may be different based off of the culture and the society and the, the people that are hearing God's word, uh, the result is always the same. The result is that the gospel is going to expose us. It's going to expose us for what we believe. If we believe Jesus, the gospel is going to encourage that and motivate us towards that. But if we don't believe it, it also is going to expose us. It's going to expose what we do believe. It's going to expose the the idols in our life. And the gospel will expose everything. And that's a beautiful thing. For those that are believers, that is a beautiful thing because we need to be exposed. And so we'll talk through all of those things this morning. So we'll start in, uh, we do exegetical preaching, so we're going to start in verse 1, we're going to go all the way through, and uh, we'll try to cover it all, really camping out on verse 8 through 23, but just to give some background, they're entering into Iconium, so verse 1, now at Iconium, entering uh, entering together in the Jewish synagogues, and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So we see Paul, he's preaching in the synagogue, he's preaching to a Jewish culture, and he's also preaching to a Gentile culture. These Gentiles are probably God-fearers. They're probably folks that are, that are sojourners, people that are interested, inquisitive about who God is and what God can do for them. So they're hanging out by the synagogue, around the synagogue, and at least enough to where that he, 
that they're able to hear what Paul's preaching about. So he's preaching the message of Jesus Christ in the synagogue. So it shows us that Iconium has a synagogue, which means that it's a heavy Jewish culture, and they're probably spending money and energy and effort towards making sure Jews there have a place to go and worship. So that's one, one detail that we see in here about Iconium. We also see that, um, that Paul is preaching, and he's preaching with authority, and there's a response to the preaching of the gospel. It says that many people are hearing and many people are beginning to believe, which is a great thing. And we see that over and over again through the authority of the preaching of Paul's ministry throughout Acts. But not all of them, right? Not everyone is believing. Some are, are tainted. Some are, are against what this message is. And so it says in verse 2, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. In Jesus' day, this was the same thing that was happening. Jesus would come and he would present himself. And the Jewish leaders in the synagogue would, would uh, rebel against what Jesus was saying. And they were threatened. So they were fighting for power. They were fighting for position. They were wanting Jesus dead. Well, that hasn't changed here. As Paul is preaching the gospel, the leaders of the church are coming in. And they're, they're seeing that Gentiles are inquisitive in understanding who God is, who Jesus is. And so they're starting to poison their minds. The word poison actually means that, that they're saying things that would make Paul their enemy. Like, this man is against you. They're trying to accuse Paul of blasphemy. If, they, if you were to be a blasphemer in the synagogue at that time in this culture, then a lot of times you'd be drugged out of the synagogue and stoned, sometimes to death. So that's the, the leader's agendas here, is that they're trying to get Paul and Barnabas dead. All right? So in verse 3 we see that, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly to the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So he, they're encouraging those believers that are there. Now, frequently we see when there's some sort of uh, pressure or suffering, then Paul and, and whoever, Peter, we see that they kind of leave. They, 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 they uh, sneak out and they go to the next city. They dust their feet from the gates and they go to the next place and they continue to preach the gospel. But for some reason here, they remain for a long time. We don't know exactly how long that is, but long enough that they're going to be able to continue to make an impact and fight against the, the persecution that's happening around the synagogue to make sure that the gospel is being heard. But it's also allowing, and it shows us right here, that God was granting signs and wonders. So it's not like they're, they're trying to... to, to uh, sugarcoat anything. They're actually pouring it on now. And God is, is granting these signs and wonders. But this, this phrase here is that God's doing it. Paul and Barnabas, they're being obedient. They're being aware. They're discerning who may and who may not. But, but signs and wonders are being poured out. There's healing that's going on. And it's because of God. It's not because of Paul or Barnabas or any of the other apostles. It's because of God granting them the ability the, and allowing them to do that. And it's only making the, the culture of those that were divided more upset about what's going on. The unbelievers were furious. And so we see in verse 4, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Division happens all the time, doesn't it? Division in the church, division in our homes, division in, in businesses. Where people are, get divided because they don't agree, they don't understand, they're upset about something well, Paul is preaching the gospel. He's preaching the message. And you see how, how men have a tendency not to want to hear the message. 
And so while I'm reflecting on this this week, I'm like, why? Why would you be so upset about this good news? Well, because this good news exposes you. And so many people don't want to be exposed. We don't want people to know our junk, our sin, our darkness. John 3.19, it tells us that, that men love darkness rather than light. Because when we're in the light, people look at you. Sometimes they look at you a little funny. Right? They see things that you don't want them to see, but there's that beauty of stepping into that light because it is a marvelous light. In verse 5 it says, Then when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with the rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So we see this wisdom here of when to stay and when to go. Not all are called to be martyrs. Sometimes you, sometimes you are. Sometimes there's missionaries that are out there that, are, that have gone into those places knowing that death might be the outcome. And praise be to God. But if there's another day and another option, another opportunity to continue to extend the gospel, then Paul and Barnabas want to take that. And so they camped out for a while. And then when it was time to go, they knew. They knew it was time to go, so they were being obedient, they were being discerning, and they, they started to move towards, out of um, Iconium and into Lystra. But it's not like they picked, like, hey, let's go on this vacation, let's go to this place that's really easy to pre- preach the gospel. They go to Lystra. Lystra is a polytheistic region. They're, they're, there's, not, there's, not, there's not a Jewish synagogue there. They're going into, into harm's way. They're stepping in front of the gun, <laughs> They're saying, okay, well, they want to stone us here, so we'll escape here, and we'll just go down here where they really don't want to hear the gospel. And so they head to Lystra, which is a polytheistic, which means that they, they have a buffet of gods that they pick and choose based off of what, they, what their greatest need would be. And they would pray and they'd give a sacrifice to these false gods and hope that the false gods would receive their sacrifice and then in return that they would bless their greatest need. That's how that polytheistic world works. And so they're walking into this with a different message than what's been preached in Lystra. I also want you to notice that when they, they show up here, uh, we're going to see Paul preaching to the audience. We're not going to see Paul like he's been preaching before in the Jewish synagogues. He actually doesn't use any Old Testament references. He doesn't speak the name of Jesus. He comes in and he meets them right where they are. And he begins to preach to them. And, and, and have a conversation with them. So in verse 8 it says that, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Paul doesn't go into these towns looking for people to heal. Paul's call is to go into these towns and preach the gospel. And when he preaches the gospel, God exposes to him those that may need to be healed. And that's what we see here is that, that he shows up not in his synagogue. He shows up on the streets and he's preaching the gospel still. But he's preaching it to his audience. He's aware of what they're, what they're ready to hear. And he starts preaching and he sees this man. And he sees this man has the ability to be healed. He sees this man's faith. And then Paul says a very unique phrase to him. Stand up. In the Greek, the word is actually anastama. 
And that word is used 123 times in the New Testament. And it's used in so many different ways. What Paul does here is that he marries it all together. We see anastema is a word that says, hey, uh, I want you to stand up and, and just walk with me. And so we, so we see Jesus saying that to his disciples, stand up and follow me. We also see Jesus when he heals the lame man. Take up your mat, stand up and come. But Jesus also uses the same word when he's talking about when he is going to die and be buried and then rise from the dead. It's the same word. And so what Paul does is he takes this and he looks at this man and he says, I see that you have faith. So now you're going to rise with the saints. But also I see that you have this, this, this problem. And now I'm going to heal you physically and you're going to rise and stand and walk. So it's this, this word, this phrase that's calling him that I'm going to heal you physically, then I'm also going to heal your soul. That's what the gospel does. And so often we see people that are being healed, what happens after that? Many believers come to, to, to follow, but not here. The response in this scene is totally different. The scene grabs the attention of all those that are around. Again, the, they don't have a foundation to work off of. The Old Testament hasn't really been taught in this, this culture, right? And so they're like, well, what do we do with this? Like, how do you explain that this man just healed this other man? And so in verse 11, it says, And when the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come to us in likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. All right, so Paul nor Barnabas speak Laconian. So they don't know what's going on. They don't know what this guy is saying. They just know that people are like, you know, we're going to worship, we're going to worship gods here. But Paul is aware of the, the religious understanding, the philosophy that was going on, the polytheistic culture that was there. He was aware that, that if people getting, are getting excited, it's going to be a movement of God, which he didn't discern that, or something weird's happening. And so he sees these people coming, and he sees that they're, they're ready to worship Paul and Barnabas as Zeus and Hermes. Again, this is one of those things, this was a culture that if you had financial issues, then you would pray to the God of, the, of, uh, the, uh, of commerce. If you had, if you had, uh, if you wanted to be beautiful, you pray to the God of, of beauty. If you wanted to have a fruitful farm, you pray to the God of agriculture. And so Zeus being the chief God, then they are just wanting this blessing, just to be blessed. And in this time, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, there's actually this, this legend of why these people respond this way. So I read it, and I'm like, why in the world are they, why Zeus and Hermes? So, of course, I wanted to study that. And so what happens is hundreds and hundreds of years ago, in Lystra, Paul and, I mean, uh, two men show up, Zeus and Hermes. This is legend. And they walk around like mortal men. And they walk into the city, and they go around asking for food, for a shelter, for a place to stay. And they go throughout the entire city, and no one gives them a place to stay. And finally, as they're leaving this poor couple in a little shanty by the gates says, yes, you can come in. We'll give you some food and shelter for the night. And it was Zeus and Hermes. 
And they bless this, this couple and they make them, them wealthy and they, they claim him as the, the priest of Zeus and they make his temple into a, his house into a gold temple. So that legend's been going on for hundreds of years in Lystra. And so now when this happens and people think, oh, it's Paul and Hermes, everybody in the town's like, woo, we're going to worship, we're going we're gonna to receive these people so that we can get the blessing. That's the polytheistic world. That's what they're hoping for is that, man, I just want to get a blessing. And so they're willing to, to respond to Paul and Barnabas like they were Zeus and Hermes. So I thought that was a, an interesting uh, reason, rationale of why they were, were, were doing this. But their understanding of God did not change. So they're there to worship Paul and Barnabas, yet their understanding of God did not change. So what they did is they went back to what they knew. They went back to their default. They started worshiping like they would have worshipped anything else. But, verse 14, But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. So pause. Paul and Barnabas are about to get worshipped like gods. There's got to be some, something inside them like, well, this would be kind of cool. Right? Like, you want to see what happens? Like, this might be awesome. No, they are so ingrained in the gospel, so fluent in the gospel, that their response to being worshipped was, whoa, no! It says that Paul rips his garments, which is a Jewish way of saying, I disapprove of what you're saying and what you're trying to do. This is not it. Don't do this, men. And God exposes to them Paul's heart. And at the same time, God is exposing to them their heart. Why are you wanting to worship? When, and then he points and directs everything to Jesus, to God, right? He goes to it and he says, there's only one living God. Now, here's the question that I, that I wrestled with when I was reading through this and studying through this. Jesus' name is never used. And so a lot of commentaries come to the point that they didn't, that Paul didn't want to add Jesus to their buffet. I was in India, and I remember praying in these homes where there are these walls full of icons, and Jesus was right in the middle. It was just one of the icons. Paul doesn't want that to happen. Paul doesn't want them just to add Jesus to their buffet. So he says, we've got to understand that there's only one God, one living God. These dead, mythical gods are nothing. They're worthless to you. They've done nothing. You've only had hopes and lies. But now come and worship the one true living God. So he says, and we bring, so they say, he says, stop and says, and we bring good news that you should turn from these, these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains and heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. The good news is that you no longer have to, have to try to figure out this, this game of who, which God do you pray to. There's one true living God. And so he speaks directly to where they are. He speaks and meets them in their revelation is that, well, when it rains, we thank the clouds. We sing that song. When we have fruit, we thank the trees. When we hear God's voice, we don't turn around. We just keep going. We think that it's something else. 
And he's saying, you don't have to do that anymore. There's an answer to these questions that you've, been, you've had for hundreds of, hundreds of, of, of generations in your, in your family that brought you to this polytheistic way. That you can be broken from that and just go and worship that one true and living God. But he says, God allowed you to do this. He allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. That verb walk there means to be left alone. To be left to yourself. That's a scary place, y'all. When I'm left to my own demise and I'm left to myself, I know that I can go to really dark places. And they say that, that God allowed you to do that, but even in the midst of allowing you to do that, He is the one that has provided everything. Everything for you. The rain, the fruit, the joy, the gladness that you have. It's come from just God's grace, His mercy. Can you see that? Paul's grabbing their attention saying, can you see that there is only one true God? You, you must hear the truth. And so he's appealing that they would believe in this one true living God. The one God that would come and be the healer of the man at the very beginning of the scene. They're trying to figure out, well, how did you do this? Well, it must be all these gods. And God uses that moment not to bring many to believe, but to plant a seed that there is a one true living God. And that one true living God is the one that has provided everything for you. And that one true living God has provided a way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do we as a body of believers believe that? Because so often, y'all, it's easy to go and be a pagan. It's so easy. I'm so prone to wonder and to, to rely on my own abilities, my own strength. To go to that buffet and say, well, I'll use Jesus when I need Jesus. But any other time, I'll pull myself up by the bootstraps and I'll just go. It's easy to get caught up in that. Not extending, not asking for help, not, not praying, not seeking the Lord. Just being like, no, I will do this. And that's pride. And that's what they're exposing here. But then we see like Paul preaching this good news about Jesus, the one true living God. And he says, and even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices. They barely listened to him. They just continued to do what they were so familiar with, so used to doing. And then these Jews from, from Antioch and Iconium, these, these religious zealots that have been following Paul, that have traveled a lot of miles, tracking Paul down to kill him. They show up on the scene, and you see that it says that, that they started persuading the crowds. And so they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So they continued their idol worship, and then when Paul and Hermes, I mean, Paul and, Hermes, when Paul and Barnabas would, wouldn't be treated as Zeus and Hermes, they got irate about it. And then they listened to these Jews that came in to poison their mind. These religious zealots probably came in and even agreed with some of the polytheistic understandings just to turn the crowd against Paul and Barnabas. And next thing you know, we see, man, they're being stoned. Paul is thrown into a pit. Some of these religious zealots may have been the same men that were under Paul's authority when he, they were stoning Stephen years before. The men that were in, in, in Lystra, or now that were once wanting to, to worship 
are now lifting stones to crush these men. How quick and how fickle we are. So quick to turn. So quick to wonder. So quick to try to find a better solution or our our own, our right answer. But then the disciples gathered around them after they drug him out. They thought he was dead. And he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. They surround him. They give him enough energy. They stand him up on his feet. And they go right back into Lystra. And they say, we're here. And the gospel's real. We're here to stay. And the gospel's here to stay. The gospel will change you. And there's only one true living God. And I'm willing to die for that. We see some fruit of this story in Acts 16. A a lady from, from Lystra. And her son, Timothy. We just see that there's fruit from even Paul being stoned and walking back into the city. And saying, hey, the gospel's real. The gospel will expose you for everything that you are. And then in verse 21, we see that we had, after they had preached the gospel in that city, now they're in Derby. So we see that the gospel is, is being preached now in a, in a different city. And it says, and they made many disciples. They were receiving the gospel. And they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. Here's what happens. Paul goes to, goes to Derby, preaches the gospel. The gospel's heard. There's many disciples. And then Paul looks at Barnabas and goes, let's retrack our steps. Let's go back to Lystra where we were almost killed, stoned there. Let's go back to Iconium where they wanted to stone us and they were mad at us before we make it back to our home church in Antioch. Let's go back and make sure that the disciples that we made, that they know that this is the real thing. Let's make our circles. Let's go back and let's empower them. Let's, let's present elders to the church. God is growing his church. He's planting churches during this story. And not only that, but he's planting and growing leaders of those churches. People that will guide the next generations to the good news of Jesus Christ. That polytheism would eventually die out. And Lystra would be a place where, where Jesus is lifted up and recognized as the king of kings. And then they make it, finally, in verse 26. They sail to Antioch. Where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together there. They declared all that God had done with them. And now, and how he had opened the doors of the faith to the Gentiles. So they get home. Think about it. Missionaries coming home. Being like, let's just sit down. Y'all come. Let's have desserts. Let's have a meal. And let me tell you about what's going on. Let me tell you about what God's doing. And he starts sharing with them. Man, God has healed these people in these cities. God has have went just spearheaded into a polytheistic culture and the seed of the gospel was planted. They probably told them about in Lystra what happened. Man, they thought we were Zeus and Hermes. And, it, and then they, they try to worship us. And then moments later, they try to stone us. They try to kill us. He's sharing these stories with his home church. But he's also looking at the elders that have been placed here and saying, is this good? Are we doing Right? Or do we need to press on? Do we need to stay here for a while? That accountability, that humility, that need of leadership is not only just for the churches that are being planted, it's for this church in Antioch. It's for this church in Dawsonville, Georgia. That we'd be quick to to look into the whites of each other's eyes and say, yeah, we're, we're encouraged through the gospel. 
we're doing the right thing. We've got to move forward. Or maybe we need to tweak this and change this and be aware of these things. Let the gospel expose us for who we are, y'all. It's the most beautiful thing in the world when we step out of darkness into light and you are cut from, from neck to stern and you're exposed fully for who you are and God says, now let me heal you. That's what the gospel does. The gospel exposes you and then the gospel heals you. Just like that. Tuesday morning, I wake up. I wasn't going to share this and I'm, I'm sharing it, so I don't know what's happening. Tuesday morning, I wake up after the storm. And I was kind of excited because two trees had fallen in our cul-de-sac. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go over there and cut those things up from my neighbors and be the hero. All right? Go over. I'm ex- Seriously, I was excited. I like, I like chainsawing. But I go out to crank the chainsaw. Won't crank. Y'all, I got so mad. Like, I was furious for an hour. I'm trying to crank this chainsaw, crank this chainsaw. Never, never get it cranked. So finally, I'm kind of kicking sticks. I'm going out there and I'm pulling brush. That's for the other guy. I'm, I'm here to chainsaw stuff. What's worse is that my neighbor Tom comes out with his chainsaw and he starts cutting these trees up. <laughs> Makes me so mad. I was furious. And I don't even know why, y'all. I'm just so just uh, in the moment. So I'm pulling shrub and I'm pulling out of the way of the driveway so they can get their cars out. And I throw the chainsaw on the back of my car and I go to Ace Hardware to drop it off. And as I'm driving, I'm sitting there going, heart check. I'm preaching a message on idols. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I'm driving and I'm like, God, what? Why am I so, I don't get angry very often. Why am I so angry? And just gently and sweetly, he says, because you wanted my praise. That glory is for me, not for you. And it was true. My heart was, I wanted to be the hero. And that's idol worship. That is finest, and we do it all the time. We come up with some solution that's going to make us look good, or we're going to fix something and hope to get patted on the back. We're prone to wonder. And God says, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to let you do that, but I'm going to pull you back in. I'm going to teach you that the gospel exposes you. And the beauty of it is that it, it exposed me, it forgave me, he loved me, we're tracking right along. And I needed the gospel. I needed to preach the gospel to myself every single day. We all need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. We're never alone when we're in Christ. He is always with us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the creativity of it. God, thank you for how you used Paul and Barnabas in Luconia, and, and brought the gospel to people that were so far away from you. And you planted that seed, and you healed people, and you brought them to yourself, and you saved them. And you're not done, God. You're still doing that today. Lord, I pray for those people that are in South Florida and that are in Houston that feel like they has, there's no hope. God, that the hope of the gospel would be at their doorstep, that you would send men and women with the good news that you are the hope. It's not in your house and what you own, what you possess, your position, your power. It's in you, Jesus. So thank you for that beautiful, magnificent truth. And I pray that you would draw us all out of darkness. Expose us, Lord, in your marvelous light. We pray this in your name. Amen.